0: they're also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino's home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at thirty thousand feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life no purchase necessary btw room void prohibited by law see terms and conditions
1: 18 plus welcome to zero the day. it is another coronavirus edition (laughs) thank you so much for thinking not Robert to join us this morning we are grateful to be able to share it is also my birthday so I am recording this uh, on my birthday I am 45 years young today and I am so grateful the Lord has blessed me to do so thank you thank you thank you so much for your thoughts your prayers and all the other stuff that comes with it Um, as always you're welcome to join us on our lemonade journey you can join us by uh, Following us on our social media, go to the Zero Network Facebook page, like that page, listen to all the uh, archive shows. You can do that. Not only can you do it there, but also go to uh, Zero. Follow, follow us on Twitter at Zero Show Zero Radio. I'm sorry, that's the Twitter show handle, and at Lorenzo T Neal. That is my handle on Twitter. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful, and. um I in this day and age I'm just grateful to be alive another day to see what's happening in our world in our country and around the world no day is promised no day is promised and I am just grateful for this day this is the day the Lord has made and I'm going to I'm going to jo- rejoice and be glad in it definitely it places a new perspective on life and all of that so I uh, Uh what was gonna oh yeah. So today we are getting ready to go into the season of Pentecost for the church and I'm gonna talk a little bit about Pentecost and in this day and age, what should it be meaning for us as believers, Christian believers. But also want to talk about Katie and Karen's and cops. Karen's and cops. Because man I, I just don't know what to say. What's going on in our world today just does not make any since today in our country today makes no sense whatsoever. But I'll talk about that uh as we go forward into the broadcast. So as I said today this is quarantine. We uh the country is slowly reopening and as many of you may have heard President Trump declared that churches are essential when it comes to this country. Not only businesses are essential but churches are essential, and he all but threatened, uh, state and local officials to uh, let churches open back up, and while I agree that churches are essential, I also believe that the church was never closed, we've never closed, we've just not been in person worship, and as I've said in previous broadcasts, there's nothing wrong with in-person worship when you're putting the welfare and health of your membership ahead of the act of worship that doesn't take away from worship it takes away from the the congregational act of worship in person and but it invites individuals to have a uh, develop a greater personal relationship with the creator which is what we uh, uh, evangelism is all about becoming a disciple You know, disciple, you get to sit at the feet of the teacher and learn from the teacher. And while we as pastors, we do our best to try to function in that capacity. We are not Jesus. We are not Jesus and we can only serve him. And as he told his disciples, he prayed for his disciples, you know, we 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 go out and we do the work. That people will believe on our word that he sends us out to say and and that's that's our function today and I don't know why we are politicizing churches now it's 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 amazing to me it's amazing how we in this day and age everything is politicized that should not be the case it, it shouldn't be the case where everything is politicized why why when this when the when president trump States that churches are essential. Why does that become a political thing now? Of course, we understand that a large part of his base, a large majority of his base, comes from the Christian evangelical uh, communities here in America. So, they are staunch supporters of President Trump. They are largely right-leaning conservative. Now, here's the thing. I am... uh, I am center right. I am. I am considered. Uh, I consider myself rather to be uh, uh, a traditional liberal, in the sense, um, in the sense of more of a libertarian type leaning. So I understand individual rights and all of that, but I also, uh, you know, I know that the the government, the state, has its place and providing services and things like that, it also has its place when it comes to managing all of us. So in that sense, I'm grateful for the state and how it functions and, and all of that. But when it, when the state infringes on its powers, overburdens its, oversteps its powers, or gives itself more power than it should have, and you know, I'm going to speak truth to power. And I believe that's a lot of cases, especially in the ones I'm going to talk about uh, later on. I do believe that so many people are making this a a, a political issue when it isn't. I there, <laughs> you know, I go back to the several months ago, several weeks ago when we were talking about several pastors who were keeping their churches open in spite of Corona and and all of that and. They didn't make it a political issue. Well, yeah, they kind of didn't make it a political issue because they were using a First Amendment right to assemble and freedom of religion as their uh, general arguments as to why they should maintain churches, keep them open and keep people going. And the language has shifted. That's the key. The language has shifted, not from um, freedom to assemble and religious rights, but the language has shifted to essential uh So, now churches are considered essential, which means that they should be able to function as other corporate entities do in the process of maintaining the capitalist flow, the economy. And that is scary to me. Um, That language change is scary to me. Because if we are part of the economy, which in in, in so many words churches are, uh, a lot of churches own property property. Even though they may not pay taxes on it, but a lot of them also have in, uh, you know, for-profit organizations and corporations that they do outreach through uh, to underwrite and fund the overarching ministry. I know of several here in my area where they have, you know, things that bring in extra income, supplemental income outside tithes, offerings, and whatever. And that's great and these are for profit businesses but at the same time um, the church in itself even though we function as a business you have to function as a business you are a domestic non-profit organization you are considered a 501c3 uh not for profit organization where your uh, donations are tax deductible that's great but there are a lot of churches that fu- that function as Fortune 500 companies, you know, they have 1000000 multi-million dollar salaries and budgets and all of that, and that's great. In that sense, they do drive part of the economy. You know, these people who go to these, uh, particularly these mega churches, they go, they serve, and they give. And enabling those churches to do more, uh, you know, and, and I can't complain about that. But when we talk about being essential versus freedom of assembly and uh, freedom of speech. It takes away from the overall uh, purpose of the church. Purpose of the church is not to be a part of the governmental entity. We are not a state-sponsored church. That's one of the the great things our founding founders of these great United States made sure that we would not have a state-sponsored church. Now, yeah, we have the National Cathedral there in Washington, D.C. that is not a state-sponsored church. That's an Anglican church functioning in the capacity of a national place where leaders, you know, the government leaders can worship if they so choose. It is not sanctioned by the state. It is not made by the state, (laughs) you know. It's just, you know, recognized as you know, the national cathedral. Um, so, in that sense, what President Trump, uh, uh, and I don't think he did this intentionally, and I think the media did more of this, alluded to that churches, uh, uh, in essence, are a part of the national community, a part of the state. You know yes, they're part of local communities and they may have uh connectional churches like ours who are part of a not only a national body but an international body that has to function in several capacities across the globe so we have to be very careful in and when we say that this churches are essential there's no nationalized church there's several hundred uh denominations just within these united states and that doesn't include the independent churches that function through associations of such that are not denominations but they have loosely they have this loose association where they have a covenant or something they agree to however they function but anyway the whole of the matter is yes churches have always been vital and essential uh but not as part of a an essential part of the state, the government. And um, when the president speaks or when any politician speaks to that matter, it does give an inclination to the church functioning as an arm of the government, which it should not be. And here in the South where uh, just about every politician has to prove their faith before they can even get elected. (laughs) They got to prove their faith. Uh, even if they don't believe, they got to prove that they they'll go along, they'll play along with the game if it'll get them elected, and that's what's happening. And um, I, I feel bad for it. Now, I did an interview on this matter, and 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 when I was asked, well, why is your church opening? Why you know why are you staying closed? I said, first, first of all, myself and a vast majority of the members that I I serve are part of the vulnerable comp- uh, population. You know, uh, about 85% of my congregation are age 65 plus. And I would be, I would do a disservice to them by having them gather and, and say, you know, even though we don't, we're not out of the clear. I say, well, we come in anyway. And, and God forbid they contact from whoever, wherever. And they come in and, you know, they're impacted by this physically and with their health. I, I wouldn't that <laughs> uh uh-uh. now I may not be liable uh personally, I may not be liable by law, but it was just the grief that I was I feel, you know, by knowing that that may have happened. The other thing is uh I'm a part of a connectional church. Our church is a connectional church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church is a connectional church. We are bishop-led. We wait for the leadership of our council bishops. And, and they have provided with us, provided to us guidelines that will enable us to uh, essentially return to in-person worship gradually, not right off. You know, I don't, I don't expect, even if we reopen, I don't expect to see, uh, you know, 85% capacity as usual. I don't expect to see 100 people in the worship service, you know. I've been preaching with nobody there, <laughs> and it's been just as spirit-filled, just as uh, pleasant without the only thing I hate is, you know, we don't have the in-person fellowship. Yet. At my church, we did breakfast on the Sunday. I missed that breakfast, but um, we, we're making the adoption, uh, the adaptations uh, based on what our leadership is providing to us And we have a five-phase process And, you know, we, you know my church is at the end stage of phase one Preparing to go into phase two and, of this process And even in then, even in that, I am, you know, I'm like, hey This is uh, creative new opportunities for us to do a broader ministry uh, uh, To enlarge our territory of ministry and I don't like using that word, territory. I was trying to use the analogy of the biblical text and the story of, <laughs> y'all know, Baz, how He prayed, enlarged my territory. But anyway, so this is an opportunity for us to to see that we're valuable, not just as a physical building or a physical congregation, but we're valuable beyond our four walls. Even though we were doing a lot of work within the community now we we're, we're able to see that our work transcends even our local community and that's that's wonderful to me and as the Lord enables us to do so we will we will go forward and serve this present age now that does not discount those pastors who may believe that they got to get it together. Do you realize that annually about five thousand? seven thousand churches closed their doors annually think about that so yes there's some church uh, uh, churches and pastors who are concerned that they won't be able to, to come back together they their church would cease to exist but I also look at it this way um, before we got to this uh, this moment in history there were a lot of churches that were uh, house churches in China and and other areas of persecuted, Christianity, uh, where Christianity is persecuted and almost forbidden, that are gathering and they're risking their lives to gather. And here here in the States, we, we've always had this freedom, and we only miss it when we can't go. Because particularly in the black church, you know, it's ritual. It is a ritual to go to church on Sunday morning and on Wednesday night in some places. That's what you did. And you had a lot of people sitting in the pews who really didn't believe what they were hearing. They just went because they have been going all their life. This is what they were call, uh, called to do, uh, you know, trained to do, conditioned to do. And then, you know, <laughs> for us black people, you know, black men were talk, hey, you're going to only find a good woman in the church. And some black women believe you can find a good man in the church. Now we know both of those are not f- completely accurate. <laughs> Because there are a lot of people who are in the church who are not in Christ. And that is just the way, way it is. And um, either way, I, I am grateful for this moment. To those pastors who will be returning, just be considerate. You know, Think about what you have to do to make the adjustment. To accommodate your people in this post-COVID uh, time. It's not, you can't do the same. And I I said this last week, I believe, or some time ago. If if you're into shouting and bucking and running and talking in tongues and all of that stuff, you have to think about it now. Was that moved by the spirit or was that moved by emotion? Because you won't be able to do that now without possibly um, putting someone else's health at risk. That's just the way it is. You know, we, we may not be able to hug, give holy hugs or holy kisses for a little while uh, service will have to be a little bit more restrictive and restrictive even regarding attendance we know that the church is a hospital but in this moment if you are sick don't you just tell your members don't come if you feel sick even if it's just a sinus don't come. let God heal you the way he heal you lay hands on yourself, (laughs) quote scripture, whatever, don't come. And that's going to be hard for a lot of people. One of the things that uh, is probably most uh, challenging for my congregation is the fact that the age restriction, you know, we're saying, look, because of your age, you may choose not to come for a while until we feel uh, we get all clear from uh, the health authorities who are really Studying this data and monitoring this data, and um, then you know, but like the song says, My faith should look up to thee, all of our faith should look up to the Lord, and not in the congregational gathering of worship. That's not to say I don't want it to happen, I hope because I tell you, some of my best preaching is when I can hear somebody talk back to me, and when you're preaching to an empty uh, space. Nobody can talk back to you, and you have to read the comments <laughs> it, It's an entirely different experience, but um, yes, churches are essential, and we need to be more aware of what we can do to empower our members and that's all we can do.'m Going to take a quick break, and I got one other topic I want to talk about before I get into the topic of Karen and cops. You may find it hard to believe, but at one point in your life, you're going to need access to reliable legal services. Legal issues can be confusing, complicated, and even a bit embarrassing. That's why I joined the family at LegalShield. LegalShield offers the most affordable, comprehensive legal coverage available. And for a small monthly fee, I have access to LegalShield's personal plan that includes attorneys who will represent me and provide me advice, even draft and review documents on my behalf. Not only do they provide excellent legal service, but with their ID shield, I'm also guaranteed protection from all fraud, including identity theft protection. Did I mention to you I have so many perks and benefits that comes with being a member of Legal Shield? Yeah, that pretty much covered the plan by itself. For the last 45 years, Americans have trusted Legal Shield for all their legal needs, and I'm glad that I've joined them. So give them a call, visit their website www.legalshield.com. I'm telling you, you will be glad that you did. I'm Dr. Lorenzo Neal, and i like to speak with my fellow clergy about a way to enhance your life and ministry. Are you looking to better connect with yourself and those you minister to? When was the last time you explored your emotional intelligence and health? I want to offer you my service as a coach and counselor. I've developed a six-week coaching program with a specific focus on self-differentiation. My background in education leadership and community counseling psychology gives me a unique look into the connection between our emotional wellness and our ministry. Blending spiritual principles with a family system's approach to ministry, I will help you become a highly self-differentiated person with a ministry that is engaging, liberating, and transforming. Contact me at Neal at gmail.com to schedule your first session with me. I'm looking forward to hearing from you and working with you to serve this present age and to fulfill and engage all yourself to do your master's will. Blessings. I wanna read something from uh, a dear friend of mine who wrote a book, Michael Waters, Dr. Michael Waters. It's titled Freestyle, Reflections on Faith, Family Justice and Pop Culture. And in one chapter of the book, he writes a letter to his to our ancestors. And I'm wanna read a part uh, that says to the ancestors, with deepest regret I must inform you of the faith that has come to your son kissed Sons and daughters of the African diaspora, your descendants in the well over 200 year old American enterprise, despite your audacious ambitions and prayerful petitions for the generations that succeeded you upon these shores, must now speak to you concerning our present difficulties. He goes on to say, You would be proud of our people's achievements since Lincoln's pen secured our emancipation, intensified the war that secured our emancipation de facto. Yet, despite such laudable achievements, the present struggle of many of our people remain great. The full scope of these struggles is at once horrifying and overwhelming. Our core institutions of family school and church are crumbling Uh, while the plight of family dissolution upon the uh, auction blocks, while youth. Endured the plight of family dissolution upon auction blocks. Today, the great majority of beautiful black seeds are born outside the nurturing context of marital family commitment. Parental absenteeism, absenteeism replaces the auction block and continues to rip apart generations. And now, many descendants continue to come of age without the knowledge of active presence of their fathers. He goes on to talk about the black church and how. It once was the epicenter of the culture; is now in decay. Um, But this is what I I really want to read here. Perhaps our greatest challenge uh, is our fragmentation along the class lines. The victories of American civil rights movement provided opportunity and access primarily to black middle class. Consequently, black flight, fleeing historic black communities in the inner city, and Retreating to the suburbs has ripped these communities of our business and resources, leaving behind masses of our brothers and sisters still bound by the chains of poverty. The poignant provocation that first rose from the lips of Cain now and now rates anew. Am I my brother's keeper? So, I I read that because in, in lieu of what we are experiencing right now in this country amidst a pandemic, What we are also seeing is an increased uh, observance, unveiling, revelation, if you will, of the uh, disjunct of our country. The disjunct between race, between class, political ideologies, parties, and the human spirit. While we've been celebrating, you know, all this, we've seen a whole lot of acts of kindness. We've seen people, heroes rise to the occasion. But there's also been this underlying, um, not dormant, but I'm trying to say it in a way that will not bring out the melancholy I'm experiencing in this moment. Um. Black folk, and I said this before, we are becoming more distrustful of uh, entities that were designed not so much to help us, uh, but to govern us. And we know that we were not a part of the initial governing process in this country, in the founding of this country. Yes, there were some free blacks, who played great roles whose names are all but lost to history in America. You know, we think of the founding fathers. We, we forget about those black free men who worked alongside those founding fathers in helping them understand um, that all men, particularly those who had wealth, land, were to be equal. History has made it seem like all of us are uh, descendants of slaves. And yes, a vast majority of uh, people, black people in this country, particularly in the South, are uh, descendants of American slaves. And uh, we can't test, we can't contest that. Uh, but we see snippets of History kind of revisiting itself. You would think, you would think that uh, we would have amassed a greater sense of uh, uh, cooperative relations in this country. People, white and others, see us not only as valuable means and parts of the community, but not threatening. And I, and I say that because, you know, there are a lot of folk, white people, who will say, you know, I love, I have no, I'm not a racist. And not only am I not a racist, but of course, you know, they say I have black friends, you know, you're my black friend, you know. And just hearing somebody tell me you're my black friend lets me know that they don't get it. <laughs> you still don't get it. I should not just be your black friend. I should be a friend. I'm a human. I'm not just a black human, you know. You create that. You create that 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 um, that relationship, and it 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 gives a subordination because the moment you uh, you put that construct on me, I'm your black friend, then that that puts a subordination between us. So I'm not your equivalent friend. There's no equity in. And I say all of that leading up to the comments. Leading up to my comments about this Karen or these Karens and um, these cops. If you've been watching the news you've or, or social media, you've been seeing uh, two primary things happen. You saw a white woman in Central Park uh, calling the police on a black man. And you saw a white officer kneeling um, on the neck of a black man until he succumbed. those have been the two viral uh, videos that have uh, been out and both of them are very disturbing to me as a black man for one it's disturbing to me as a black man to think that I can't do anything outside of a perceived uh, uh, thing that black men are supposed to be doing, which is an athlete, a rapper, or a thug. That's the perception of most black men. We, we can only do music or, you know, uh, athletics, particularly basketball and football. And um, we have to be thugs. We have to be on the gangs. We have to be on the street. And as much as there are many of us attempting to change that perception, we're finding that even those of us who do not fit that description are still, we still are feared. I don't understand that. I don't understand why we are still feared. The other day I was, uh, I went to the store, and I know we're all practicing social distancing. But I was, uh, you know, I was, looking for an item and uh, that was a white lady there and she quickly moved now I was I was far away from her you know I was beyond six feet but to see how quickly she moved to get further away from me kinda startled me for a moment and I was like okay maybe you know the spot the owls are small so maybe she just wanted you know a little little more space and, you know, I, I didn't think about it at all. I really didn't. Until I got home and I pondered, I said to myself, I was like, wow. I just experienced, I think she felt threatened by me being in it. And I didn't want to think that. I, I, I tried not to think that. You know, I, I was trying to, I was trying to uh, assume that, that maybe, just maybe, uh, she just wanted the extra space. Um, and the reality is that now she probably she probably was a bit threatened even more so in in this uh, day and age more so threatened by the fact that this black man and yes I did have a mask um, I don't know, but anytime I see events like this happen with the white lady calling the police for on a man who, by all accounts, is not only gentle but he's a uh, he's a scientist, he's a he's a writer and uh, a bird watcher. I don't know the technical term for that. And her sense of feeling threatened by his presence just, you know, just hurts me to the core. And I know there's a lot of swirling going on in the world. (laughs) You don't know what swirling is. That's interracial relationships. There's a lot of swirling going on, but it's still the idea that for many white people, the idealized black man is a subservient one and i was I was watching uh some YouTube videos both about these events, the Karen event and the cop event and I was listening to commentary from uh both sides of the political spectrum, all sides of the political spectrum particularly from black folk and what grieved me the most. Is the black people, who are cooning for white people, uh, like like I said, in some cases I identify as a, as a conservative, you know, in some and some some things. But you will never see me cooning for white people if I know there's been an injustice against black a black man. I take the heart where Scripture says we should grieve when other other people grieve as as believers, as Christians. And it grieves me when I see black men, brown men, when they are profiled racially, and sometimes it's just unintentional. You know, in the case of this the incident Stowe and me, it may have been unintentional. She may not have intentionally done that. That may have just been a a reaction. But the perception of the reaction is what it is. For the the woman to call the police, nine one one, and say a black man is threatening me, when there was no physical harm coming to her. Think about all the all think about all the cases where black men have been accused of rape, when it was consensual relationship, but the white woman, and I am speaking about white women in this particular case, because it it happened. Uh, Accuse them, and they lose not only their reputation, but in some cases they are arrested. They may have served time in prison, and they can't get that time back. And yes, there's always um, individuals who uh, take advantage of that. We we can go to the case with the Duke uh, athletes where the black woman in this case accused them and I believe uh, it was proven to be false. It's difficult being a black man in the United States. And I've had instances instances growing up where, you know, I was wondering about some things. Why, you know, why do they treat us this way as black people, black men in particular. And, you know, I grew up hearing The phrase that the black man is an endangered species and incidents like Karen and the cop sometimes give credence and credit credibility to the statement regarding the cop I'm I'm not making this a black versus white issue I'm making this a a power issue that was a a power move on that cop asserting his authority over the black the uh, other the man that just happened to be black that's what that is that that is this man saying that because the state has given me authority to take you down I'm gonna take you down that man sat on that dude's neck on um, George Floyd's neck for at least six minutes at least You watch the life come out of him. You hear him saying, I can't breathe. You hear the uh, the witnesses telling the, the officers, look, he can't breathe. He's not responding. Look, you need to check his pulse. He is not responding. That goes on for, uh, for, for minutes. And even after paramedics come, The guy, the officer, still has his knee on that man's neck. Paramedics check the pulse, and they see that there's nothing there. And yet the man is still uh, vigilant about maintaining his position of authority, that officer. Only the, what he, what he thought he had subdued this man, and He's the power cop of the day. He has become the fool of a lifetime. And I don't mean that in a good way. It is, it should be a shame that black boys and black men have to be concerned about our interactions with the police, with the state in general. It's it, sh- it should be a shame that we have to posture ourselves certain ways to be seen as acceptable and respectable. It is a shame. It, everybody should have outrage that this is happening in 2020. That 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 white men can assert their authority even if they're not. Uh, officers of the law—they can still assort, assert their authority and take out the life of a black, an unarmed black man. That police officers can still assert their authority with a no-knock warrant and enter the premise of an individual who has no no criminal record, nothing like that, and take her life. And we can go down, down the list. I wrote an article not long ago about uh, the, 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 the long names of black men, the pantheon of black men who have been martyred. And I do use the word martyr now. Some some time ago I wouldn't use that word. Um, but now I, I do see them as martyrs. Unintentional martyrs. They had no cause to die for. They had no reason that their lives were taken. Malcolm did. He had a reason his life was taken. He had a purpose in it. He had a meaning. Martin did mega did they're martyrs in the truest sense but in recent history we have black men who are martyrs for no reason at all and that's just unjust my white brothers and sisters I implore you I implore you speak up speak up don't, don't just march with us. Don't riot with us. Don't protest with us. To hear a, a, a presidential candidate say in a live audience, to a live audience or to a, a national audience, that not voting for him infers that you're not black. You ain't black. And for black people to say, to come to his defense and say, no, you know, look at what uh, President Trump has done or has antagonized regarding black folk and race and all that. And, and, and believe me, I believe President Trump is the most <laughs> irreverent president of all time. I, I, and I have said that I, I, have, I believe that he is one of the most immoral presidents of all time. I stick by that. However, when it comes to what he's been doing, particularly for black folk, I don't understand why we are antagonistic against him because when you look at what has been happening under his administration, whether you agree with his policies or not, when you look at what's been working for the black community overall, we were better off. We are better off than we were under Obama. That's just facts. Yes, he has an agenda. Every president has an agenda. Every politician has an agenda. And unfortunately, there are pockets of his supporters who have this idea uh, of what race should be and all of this, nationalists, all of, all of this. And yes, that contributes to his, uh, that contributes to his presidency indirectly, not directly, indirectly. And yes, he is very petty. I hated that he said nasty words about uh, uh, several black Congress persons. I hate that he is petty uh, regarding some issues regarding black people. I I, I uh, hate is a strong word. I I just I I don't like the fact that he is like that. But he's been like that. He was like that before he got elected. The reality is, we as black men, we we have to deal with Karens and cops on a consistent basis, and it should not be. I shouldn't be afraid to drive and see a police officer vehicle behind me and wondering, even if the police officer is black, I shouldn't be afraid to say if I get pulled over, what would this encounter end up? How will it end up? Will I will I walk away from this encounter? I shouldn't have to think that. But I do. And many other black men do too. And I, I don't break the law. <laughs> I just told a big lie. I broke the law. I ran a stoplight the other day. <laughs> but I should not live in the fear or the anxiety of knowing that I could just be existing in my space and be seen as threatening to somebody white there's another video of a white male who's in this gym and again the privilege is, is a assume, song is assumed that they are not supposed to be there because there's no way black folk can be in here who are you I don't know you I've never seen you that does not mean that I don't I don't belong here, and they 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 argue like, "Look, we have office space here. We have it. we have the right to be here because we are just like you." And unfortunately, unfortunately, it happens too frequently. And I I tell I said this, and I said all the time. The kindest white people are also sometimes the most irresponsible white people when it comes to race. As kind as they are, they are still insensitive in many ways and irresponsible in many ways to knowing how to engage us. Their idea of, and I'm speaking generally, their idea of equitably relating with us is for us to demonstrate to them that we are capable of doing so. Their idea is, if I don't, for example, I am a full-fledged doctorate. I have an earned doctorate degree from an accredited university. I've done the research and all of that. But there are still those that, despite the title and the work and all this stuff I do, will only see me as a black man. And to them, I will always have to outdo what someone else uh fair skin has to do. I was always told I gotta do more just because I'm black. And that proves, you know, I I I, I can't even <laughs> you know watch birds. It's sad to say. We are living in a world that I just don't understand. I wish I did. I really do. But there are still more Karens. And there are still more cops. And yes, these are isolated incidents. And yes, they go on regularly. Most without any news attention or viral videos. It it happens so frequently. And yes, there are black men who are very much representational of what the perceptions of black men are. There are good athletes who behave badly. And there and yes, in black urban communities, unfortunately, the crime rate is usually the highest. Gun violence Against each other is usually the highest. Yes, those, those you can't discount that. You can't 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 say that is not a factor. That there is that is a factor. But as my brother wrote his letter to the ancestors, it's in some ways it's generational. In some ways, it's of our own own making. But in a large way. It is systemic. There is systemic injustice in this country. And until we rightly addressed it, they gonna let us riot. And then when that's over, what's left? Nothing. You still have young black men full of angst, anger, anxiety, and unsert unsur unsure as how to articulate that, unsure as how to uh, fit in within the construct of the America that they see and America that's their reality. We've got a long way to go. A very much, a very long way to go. But I, like Martin, I, I see the promised land. I don't know what it's going to look like. I might not get there which. But I see it. But I gotta know this I gotta say this. Yes. Black folk, we gotta be empowering ourselves. Can't rely on we now know we don't have politicians favorable to us. They just expect us to go one way. We now know that we now know that uh there are still individuals within uh, components of the state. They're not favorable towards us. Whether it be by way of aggression or outright racism. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think this officer was is racist. I think he was just aggressive. Overly aggressive. He exerted power that the state gave him. they Or the state gave them. I don't believe they were, that was racially motivated. And I'm not going to get out and march every time an incident happens to a black man because of a white person that's that's ridiculous and redundant when are we going to march for us when are we going to declare not not only do black lives matter but when are we going to begin to be empowering we're going to say black lives matter let's open our own economies let's build our black wall street in every major metropolitan area heck if there could be a Chinatown or a little Italy a Jewish town, a German town. We ain't got to call it a little Africa. We ain't got to call it that, but we need to have a thriving, black, African diaspora community that includes the the Caribbean, those Africans, and those American descendants of slaves. We need to have that. And for us, if we're going to be spending all this money, if we're going to be spending all this money, then we need to be spending it on us. We can make it happen. I know we can. I'm looking forward to ha- making it happen. Anyway, I'm going to get out of here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. I want to invite you to support us uh, on Patreon. Go to Patreon.com slash Lorenzo T Neal and for a little it's a dollar a day you can a dollar a month, I'm sorry. <laughs> for a little as a dollar a month you can support what we do here on zero Right today. Also check us out on all our other media. Uh we do have a YouTube channel I just I don't like doing YouTube but I will do it every every now and then but uh... check out the YouTube channel check out our social media follow us on there uh... I Network on Facebook uh... at Zero Radio on Twitter and we appreciate all your support uh... make sure you visit my website Lorenzo T. Neal a copy of my latest book Pastors Reflection for the Pastor Study and get um, um Breach to the Family matter of factly really, I will be giving some books away. And I'll make that announcement on my personal Facebook page. And I'm I'm just living to serve this present age, however I can, my calling to fulfill. You guys have a great day. Uh, This is Dr. Lorenzo Neal. I'm out.